right. Well, this morning we're jumping back into our sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Uh, so you can take out that little scripture insert. And as you can see, our topic this morning is the topic of friendship. What does Proverbs have to teach us about friendship? And I'm so grateful to be looking at this topic with you this morning. Um, because in our rapidly changing culture today, we desperately need to know what friendship looks like. We have thousands of different ways to connect with each other through social media, smartphones, Facebook, Twitter, but these mediums lack the depth of face-to-face -face friendship. Amen? A few years ago, I was working as a campus minister at Florida State, and I met this really interesting freshman. And uh, he was a pretty radical Christian. I, I met very many people like him. Uh, he had just finished the, the summer term of his freshman year, and uh, he would actually go around campus praying for people just in his mind and in his heart, and, uh, and oftentimes the Lord would give him prophetic words about people, and he would actually boldly go up to them and share what he believed the Lord had put on his heart for them, and uh, oftentimes he nailed it, and people were amazed. And uh, the first time that I ever met with this guy, he told me he felt called to be a missionary in the Middle East when he graduated. He was very committed. He actually wanted to go to Iraq. Um, and he asked me um, how he could get more involved in InterVarsity, the campus ministry that I was leading. And I could tell he was expecting me to say, well, man, you should lead a Bible study, or you should lead our evangelism team, or you should lead some kind of massive campus prayer meeting or something like that. But as I continued to listen to him and ask questions, I noticed that he was kind of a loner. He had come from a broken family and didn't really have any consistent Christian fellowship in his life. So I encouraged him and told him he seemed like a solid guy, that he really loved the Lord, but then I thought the most important thing for him to do the rest of his freshman year was commit himself to an actual Christian community. Don't just hop around from group to group. So commit yourself and then spend time trying to make two or three close friends who also love the Lord and love you. He said, it's worth your investment. Spend your time, try to make those relationships. Now, I could tell this was not the response that he was expecting, but he also seemed sort of relieved that I noticed this about him. And as the semester went on, I got to know him well. In fact, um, our family began to invite him once a week to eat dinner with us. And he confided in me that he really didn't know how to make friends. He wasn't really sure where to start or what to do. Now, when I signed up as a campus minister, I didn't think I was signing up to teach people how to have friends. <laughs> um, but I learned that was just the reality. I came to find out that not only this student, but many others were suffering from loneliness, isolation, and lack of even one genuine friend in their life. Someone to pray with them, yes, but also someone to meet up with them and play Frisbee. Right? Someone to meet them for breakfast at 2 a.m., because that's what college students do. <laughs> or somebody to talk to them when their grandfather passed away. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but friendship is crucial to following Jesus. You know that? We can't walk this path alone. And we shouldn't want to. We shouldn't want to walk this path alone. C.S. Lewis refers to friendship as the greatest of worldly goods and says, certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. He goes on to say that if he had a piece of advice to give to a young man about a place to live, he said, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. 
So the people we surround ourselves, guys, matter a great deal. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, our lives began to take on a similar shape as those we spend the most time with. One scholar put it this way, In essence, we choose our friends, and our friends change us. We choose our friends, and our friends change us. What else can we learn from the Bible about friendship? What does Proverbs have to teach us? Well, the book of Proverbs actually has a lot to say about friendship. Some of you guys who have been reading through Proverbs this month might see that. And we learn that basically friendship consists of three things. And wouldn't you know, they all start with the letter C. How about that? All right, preacher man. They are care, constancy, and candor. All right, so let's dive in. The first quality of true friendship in Proverbs is care. You know someone is a friend if they genuinely care for you. If their hearts and actions are inclined toward your prosperity, your well-being, and not just their own, right? Jesus said this. He said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So true friends love even when it's costly for themselves. Proverbs 17.17 says that a distinguishing mark of friendship is that a friend loves at all times. At all times means not just when it's convenient for us. At all times means not just when we know we're going to get paid back for our efforts. Now on the other hand, Proverbs also warns us that we can have too much of a good thing. Turn with me, this isn't on your handout, but turn with me to Proverbs 25. Verses 16 and 17, it's on page 547 of your pew Bibles. Proverbs 25. This is some very colorful imagery here. Beginning at verse 16, it says, If you have found honey, eat enough only for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. So this image is uh, pretty stark, but it sets up the next verse, which says this. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So in other words, we need to be considerate of the lives of other people, even our friends, and be sure that we're not using them or calling on them too frequently or overstaying our welcome. In other words... We need, there needs to be a sense of mutuality in friendship. If only one side ever gives, that's not a healthy friendship. If only one side is ever vulnerable, that's not a healthy friendship. If only one side shows genuine care, that's not real friendship. There are other forms of relationships that are more one-sided, and that's okay. Maybe a relationship with a mentor or a counselor or a coach. But that's not how it works with friendship. True friendship shows mutual care. Mutual care, back and forth. The second C related to friendship is constancy. Constancy means that friends stick together through the good times and through the bad times. Proverbs 18.24 says that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So on the one hand, it's saying that a friend is better than an entourage. It's better to have one true friend 
than to have a thousand people friend us on Facebook. But on the other hand, a true friend sticks closer even than a brother. There's a sense of constancy. They stick with you. Have you ever noticed that when we introduce a friend, we often say how long we've been friends? Right? We just sort of intuitively know that this is important information. Right? So as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking, you know, I, I, like, for example, I've been friends with John Orsell for about 10 years now. How about that, man? It's like our friend anniversary, <laughs> Or something like that. So the reason why this is relevant information is because if someone, know, if, we, if someone knows we've had a friend for like 10 or 20 or 30 years, it means that that person has loved us through some tough times. Amen? And vice versa. Proverbs 27.9 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. I like that addition, your father's friend. I like that because um, a lot of my parents' friends have become good friends to me down through the years. It says, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. That sounds like an odd um, thing to say. But in other words, it's trying to say when times are hard, a true friend can oftentimes be more reliable than even a family member, than even a brother. In some sense, family, I mean, excuse me, friends are the family that we choose for ourselves. Right? We get the family we get. But friends are the family we choose for ourselves. Several summers ago, I had a pastoral internship in Washington, D.C., and everyone I met told me the same thing, which is that it's really hard to make friends in D.C. And when I would ask why, they would say, because everyone's so upwardly mobile. Everybody's just trying to get ahead, and if they can't get anything from you, the moment they realize they can't get anything from you, they don't want anything to do with you. And listen, guys. Friendship is not networking. They are not the same thing. Proverbs gives many warnings about these kind of insincere friendships. People who are only in the relationship for what they can get out of it. Whether it's status or money or something else. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many seek the favor of a generous man. Proverbs 14.20 says that the rich man has many friends. Now that's not friends in the biblical sense, in the fully biblical sense. I think legendary jazz singer Billie Holiday got it right when she said this. Money? You've got lots of friends. <laughs> Crowding around the door. When you're gone and the spending ends, they don't come no more. It's often been said that when times get hard, that's when you find out who your true friends are. So networking may have its place, but such fair-weather friends are not truly friends in the fully biblical sense of the word because they don't really care for you, for your own sake, and there's no sense of constancy. They don't stick with you when the money runs out, when the opportunity for upward mobility runs out. So where are we at? Proverbs talks about care and constancy, and now thirdly, candor. Candor means truthfulness. But not just like truthfulness, like, I'm just going to tell you the truth and I don't care. Truthfulness for the purpose of building someone else up. Truthfulness for the purpose of edification. This is key because friends don't use the truth to tear one another down. Uh, Proverbs actually has a lot to say about gracious speech and a well-timed word. 
uh, and we've got, we'll get into that on another week. But one of our central points about true friendship in Proverbs is that if iron is going to sharpen iron, we can't be afraid of telling the truth. Right? We can't be afraid of being honest. Proverbs 27.6 articulates this principle in a very shocking way. Look at your service, your little handout. Proverbs 27.6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then it adds a twist ending. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So why would a friend come with wounds and the enemy come with kisses? Because our friends are seeking God's purpose for us, while our enemies flatter us for their own purposes. So friends seek our formation, enemies seek our manipulation. I've always found the story of Jesus' arrest to be particularly heartbreaking, right? Because Judas comes with this armed guard, and Jesus, what does Jesus call him? Friend. He says, hello, friend. And Judas betrays him with a kiss. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Of course, Jesus was aware of this duplicity, and Proverbs wants us to be aware that this kind of dynamic exists in the world. Flattery is not friendship. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make glad the heart, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What makes a friendship sweet, sweet like oil and perfume? Not flowery words, not kisses, but earnest counsel. Candor is the very quality that brings sweetness to a friendship. I think we live in a culture that wildly overstates the value of affirmation. That, I mean, it's essentially we, we've substituted affirmation for love. And we think if somebody doesn't affirm our lifestyle, they don't love us. You only should be speaking positive words about me and to me if you're my friend. If you don't thumbs up what this, my ignorant comments on social media, I don't know if I'm your friend anymore. <laughs> Friends, don't fall into this trap. This is a two-dimensional view. It's not the biblical notion of friendship. A friendship should be loyal to you, but they shouldn't be your yes man. Better is open rebuke, according to Proverbs. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. This is not an easy principle unless you just happen to be a particularly contentious person. <laughs> then you really like this message. But I think most people would prefer to love our friends through agreement rather than disagreement. Am I right? Much easier to love somebody through agreement than disagreement. That would be sweet if that was the only thing that was required. But friendship costs more than that, guys. It costs more courage than that. It costs more heart for one another than that. One of my best friends from childhood is a guy I've known for about 30 years. He was the best man at my wedding, and he's the funniest dude I've ever met, hands down. Um, several years back, he was working as a stand-up comedian, and he was actually a rising star. He started to be invited to these A-list clubs, started opening for some of the biggest-named comedians around, people that you would definitely know. And, um, but he had recently become a Christian, and he began wrestling internally over some of the inappropriate content in his jokes. Some of the things that he was glorifying. Some of the things that he was um, trying to make fun of. And at this point, I'd been following Jesus for longer than him. And he said to me, Man, Taylor, it's so easy to make people laugh when you resort to, when you resort to dirty jokes. 
And it's so hard to be competitive as a comedian if you're trying to be clean. So in other words, my friend was tempted to temporarily set aside his Christian convictions for the sake of getting ahead in his profession. I think that we can, a lot of us can relate to that temptation. So come on, God, just let me become successful first, right? And then after that, you can be the Lord of my life. I mean, don't the ends justify the means? Don't you want me to be successful? Well, this is the way that that has to happen. So this is the way that it's going to be. But if we look at the Gospels, what does Jesus respond when he's asked such questions by would-be followers? He would say, count the cost. No one can be my disciple unless he loves me more than these things. Now listen, I don't want to... I did, I, in, this, in this case, I, I didn't want to speak a hard word to my friend in this situation. To be honest, I felt like a total chicken. Um, we grew up cracking jokes together in school, and trust me, back then, neither of us were very concerned about clean comedy. And as you probably know, it's hard to admonish someone else when they know your own checkered past, right? But in that moment, God gave me grace to say to my friend, Brother, if it is God's will for you to be a comedian, then it has to be on his terms. And if you can't make it on his terms, then it's not God's will for you to be a comedian. Now the encouraging thing is that my friend cleaned up his act and almost immediately began receiving more offers than ever. But even if that wasn't the case, even if it would have just ended his career, true friendship required that I speak to him with candor about the lordship of Christ in his profession. Amen? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. This hidden love, this unwillingness to love others through open rebuke, this is actually what got the Episcopal Church in trouble. We don't talk about this that much here, but the church basically wanted to be a friend to our surrounding culture, so it sold its prophetic birthright and tried to give love without truth. But here's the thing. Love without truth is not really love at all. Just as truth without love is ineffective. Because on the one hand, you have this sort of bleeding-hearted sentimentality. And on the other hand, you have Pharisaism. Neither is true love, nor true friendship. But what did the scriptures say? They say that Jesus was full of grace and... Yeah, grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He perfectly brought these two things together. Let me summarize and begin to draw to a close. We noted that Proverbs teaches us about friendship through three C's. True friends are people who care about us for our own sake. There's a sense of constancy in the relationship. Friends stick together in hard times. And there's a sense of candor. We speak the truth to one another for the sake of building one another up. We can't live the Christian life without friends. And we shouldn't want to. They're one of the chief joys of life. So what about you? Do you prioritize friendship? Have you made close friends that walk with you in Christ? Do you understand the importance of that? The importance of the influence that they have on your life? The influence that you're called to have on their life? Many of you may not know this, but uh, David Troutman, who's the lead pastor of Trinity Anglican Church just up the road in Thomasville, he and I have been close friends for over 16 years. And we have this standing meeting every Thursday morning for breakfast. And the purpose of the meeting is just to laugh together, to pray together, 
ask each other tough questions about our lives and ministries and marriages. And it's really a time for iron to sharpen iron. And we both view this as an extremely valuable friendship appointment. All right, so we guard this. We try to prioritize this in our schedules as best as we can. One of the things I appreciate about David is he brings grace and truth when we're reflecting on my life. He's not just going to be a yes man. He's not just going to affirm everything that I say. I feel like he's on my side. I feel like he supports me. But part of the reason why he's on my side is because he's on my side when it comes to me looking more like Jesus. That's true friendship. I want to close this morning by pointing to Jesus Christ as our perfect friend. Because in him we find this perfect fusion of grace and truth. I remember when I first became a campus minister, it, uh, there were people who told me, you can't be friends with your students. You can't be friends with people in your ministry. And uh, as I read the Gospels and kind of thought about that, I thought, you know, that's really odd because Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh and dwelled among the, amongst us, called his own apostles his friends. So if Jesus is willing to call the people that he's ministering to, the leaders that he's building up friends, who are we to say, I can't really be friends, you know, I'm a minister, I can't really be friends with the people that I'm ministering to. The fact is, God holds these two things together, grace and truth. And if he didn't, then he wouldn't have saved us in the way he saved us, on the cross of Christ. Because at the cross, God delivers a truthful judgment on all sin and injustice in the world. But God is also love. And God is so loving that He bears the truth of our, of our judgment. He bears the truth of that in His own innocent person by dying in our place. So love and truth come together on the cross, but in such a way that love is extended to the world. If God didn't deal so truthfully with wickedness, could we really say that he was loving? And if God wasn't willing to become nothing, humbly taking on our nature and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, will the world even know what love is? I think not. That's why Jesus, on the last night before he faced the cross, he said to his closest friends, this is my commandment, that as you love one another, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need to know what true friendship is. And you have graciously revealed this through your written word in Proverbs and above all in your word made flesh, your son Jesus Christ. Grant us grace to be like him, our true friend. To show care and constancy and candor, truth and love. Just like, our, just like your son Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.